This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Sales leadership frameworks, mindset tools, skill set tools, performance coaching, sales leadership training tools, video insights with some of the world's most successful sales leaders, tools used by sales leaders to create massive impact in the current environment. So don't waste your time trying to reinvent sales leadership. Head to Sales Leadership United on Patreon and check out what the world's most complete collection of sales leadership assets can do for you. Every topic you'll ever need and the tools to help you accelerate your sales leadership career all in one place. Check out Sales Leadership United today. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams that are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. We help sales leaders make how they lead their most defensible competitive advantage. It doesn't matter if you're a new manager, a first-time VP of sales, or a seasoned sales leadership executive. Tap into the power of coaching with people who have been there, done that. If you've ever wondered how other people with jobs similar to yours are addressing challenges you're facing now, reach out to the Jepson Performance Group and learn why sales leaders all around the world choose us as their performance partner. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders that are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-impact sales leaders share high-impact strategies and tactics. Today, I'm excited to bring a sales leader into the show who keeps creating ridiculous success every place he goes. Kyle AC is the Regional Vice President of Corporate Sales at MongoDB. Kyle's team is having head-turning success, and that's nothing new. He's gone from SDR to VP at a publicly traded $16 billion company in just seven years. He quickly rose through the ranks at Qualtrics and set new standards for both performance and excellence as he earned five consecutive president's clubs as an AE and as a leader. Now, Kyle understands how to grow by growing and improving, not just by the grind. And the results, well, they've been amazing. Year after year and with team after team, Kyle and his team outperformed the expectations and the norms regardless of the external conditions. This guy's an innovator of new ideas. He's an expert teacher that's amazing at helping members of his team learn and adopt. And he's someone who's learned how to create impact an entire organization for the companies fortunate enough to have him on the team. Now, as Kyle's done all of this stuff, he's, he's attracted a ton of attention along the way. Kyle, as he's building this corporate sales team at MongoDB, he's, he's also contributing in a big way to the sales community. He's a frequent guest on other podcasts. He shares insights in a number of different platforms, and he's committed to helping salespeople and sales leaders everywhere benefit from the insights he gains as he helps teams grow and succeed. If you can't tell, I'm pumped to have this guy on the show. Today, we're going to have a conversation I think is very timely, very important. Kyle, welcome to our show, and, and man, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Rob. Uh, kindest intro anyone's ever done for me. So grateful <laughs> for the invite, grateful to be on the show with you today. I appreciate you being a guy that lives up to that intro. 
uh, our our audience is going to find out really, really fast that this is going to be a a different conversation. So thank you. I'm I'm grateful, man. It's going to be a fun one. Why don't you start by introducing MongoDB and what you guys are doing for your customers right now? Yeah, so I've been at Mongo now for a little, almost three months. Uh, we we found that companies can no longer innovate by buying stuff. Like you're not going to go win by buying a CRM or buying marketing automation. Companies win by building. And with engineers being expensive and limited, you don't want your engineers spending a bunch of time maintaining your database and making sure things work. You want them doing differentiating activities. So at Mongo, we make sure that your applications can store data, retrieve data, get data quickly, easily, without your engineers having to worry about downtime, maintenance. We let your high leverage assets do high leverage activities while we take care of the important but non-sexy work on the backside. I love it. It makes perfect sense. And I can see why that's growing quickly because you're right. There are shortages there. And that that makes, I, I can see why you create some interesting value for your customers. But one of my things that I do with all the guests who join us, Kyle, is I love to find out how you got started in sales. I'm still looking for those people who say, I wanted to be in sales when I grow up. And while people can do that in college now, didn't used to be that way. So how'd you get in sales and how'd that lead you to where you are now? I'm not going to be the guy you're looking for, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, I, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to do leaving school. Qualtrics sent me a recruiting pitch for a role called Opportunity Development. I literally had no idea what that meant. So I went in for the interviews. I found out it was sales. I told one of the co-founders of Qualtrics, hey, I don't want to be in sales. He's like, hey, that, that's fine. You'll start in sales. You can change anytime. You'll just make less money. I was like, okay, that's that's fine. So I joined sales as an SDR. That was their, their term for SDRs, Opportunity Development, just a fancy word for SDR. And I found after a couple of years of struggle that I could get good at it, being doing things my way. And I just fell in love with it. So I've been, I've been stuck ever since. Congratulations. And you, you got the opportunity to really get to see sales leadership at a lot of different levels there. And, um, and, and, and I'm, I'm really interested as you're going to share some of the, the success stories you had, because you worked with a lot of different teams and had a lot of different success and, and I think that's going to be really important uh, as we queue up why we're going to talk today. So um, for those that don't follow you, uh, you'll, at the end, you'll give a chance to connect to how you connect to, to, to you in, in LinkedIn. But I follow you in LinkedIn. And recently, you posted something that got my attention that I thought a lot about and made me reach out to you because I've, I've followed you for a while. I've liked you for a while, but that got my attention. You said something along the lines, and I don't want to like get it wrong. So, you know, Get me right, Kyle, if I got it wrong. But it was along the lines of, if you haven't already changed how you lead like six months ago, you're going to be in a world of hurt talking about going into you know, next year. How close was that? Was that right? Or was that? Yeah, that, that, that's spot on. The, the genesis of it is that everything is different now than it was six, eight months ago. People that are still chugging along status quo are going to fall further and further behind. People that are adapting are going to retain talent, optimize talent, and have success. Okay. So I want to dive into that. If you haven't changed how you lead, like, so we should always be leading. I I love this idea of, as we go into 2023, and as we record this, we're in the week of Thanksgiving in the United States, and this will get released sometime uh, in a few weeks. 
we're going to be going into 2023. I imagine 2023 is going to have its own set of challenges. But I also imagine there's going to be a lot of sales leaders that are operating off of 2020 or 2021 playbooks or or operating or leadership systems, if you will. Like, what do you think about that? Is that kind of what was where you're coming from on that is, is, is that leaders are kind of doing what was done to them and what they've always done. And it's time to upgrade. Yeah, that that's spot on. It's not to discount any of my, any of our accomplishments, but we're coming off of a string of years where success was common. Uh, Any company that had a SaaS platform could win. There were winners everywhere. Now we're seeing a lot of those former winners become losers and we're going to see more become losers. And a lot of that is going to be not just based on the tech itself, but also on the, the teams within the companies and how they go to market. It's really interesting that winning might've been easy and it's about to change. I don't know if it necessarily means harder, but it means change different. So when you say, if you haven't already changed, I'm interested in peeling that apart. Let's deconstruct that and unpack that a little bit. Like where would leaders need to change how they lead as they go into 2023? Are are there any places you say, hey, these are like two or three areas that are like important places to start? Yeah, I'll give a a couple of thoughts. Uh, One thing is reps are feeling the burden of opportunities harder to generate, deals harder to win. And so leading from afar and just teaching and coaching and trying to motivate isn't sufficient. So as an example, when I came to Mongo, there was a concern around territory. Like, hey, I don't have the right accounts in the down economy to go have success. So I wanted to get in the weeds and validate that. And so I literally went and I found accounts that weren't owned. I generated pipeline into those accounts myself with some cold outreach to validate what kind of accounts we should be working. So I can go back to the team and instead of saying, hey, no, there's still opportunity, you gotta go find it. It's, hey, there's here, there is still opportunity. Here's how I found it. Here's how I created it. Now we can go replicate that amongst the teams. And so where in 2020, there was easy enough success where you could just teach and then watch. Now it's more of a teach and show, get involved and then help your team implement. That is interesting. So you can't just teach and watch. It's not do as I say. It's why do you think it's more important for you to validate first? I like how you said that. You validate or like you said the second time, teach and show. Why why is that an emerging new area of importance? Because success is less frequent now. And so there's the doubt that it's possible. Like I think there's honestly right now a lot of sales reps who think there's no way they can hit their quota. There's no way they can hit KPI targets. And so when a sales leader can show examples of how it can be done, that is motivating. And I think in this environment, when a sales leader is saying, hey, we can do this, the reps are thinking, well, you're, of course, you're saying that you're the VP in charge of this. What else are you possibly going to say? But there's still the skepticism. And so the ability to go and show that success is possible is a driving motivator for the teams. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think that there's always been important to have competence, the competence. I Sales, when it started to become more legitimate, like when you talked about you got recruited out of college to be a opportunity finder, is that what you called it? I can't remember what you called opportunity it. Opportunity development. Opportunity development. And, um, and now like people are getting degrees in sales. There's like 70 schools that will give you a degree in sales. And people are like, I do want to be a salesperson. Well, that's attracting people who want to be managing sales teams that 
might not have been willing to carry a bag. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or, or there are people that have been in the game for a long time and went through all of the 2000s, maybe like 2010 through 2020. And they're like, I've got it figured out. I know what I'm doing. And then COVID hit. And all of a sudden we had to start figuring, figuring things out. Um, I think that it's, that it used to be like, if you were an experienced salesperson, you might say, just leave me alone. But I think we're entering a time right now where we have to almost redevelop our competency, re-earn our stripes. Is, is there something to that? Because I, I hear people saying, man, if you haven't sold post-COVID, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah, I, I think so. And it kind of goes to the a new, a new motto I almost have of the test before you teach. I'm not afraid to go be transparent and tell my teams, look, like I have some ideas of how we can find success. Here are the assumptions that I'm making that lead to those ideas. Spot check me. What assumptions am I getting wrong based on your knowledge of our customers about MongoDB? I'm new here. So first okay. off, check my assumptions. Then if my assumptions are right, we're confident in the approach. Let's go try it together. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't, we're going to switch it up. Uh, I, I think sales leaders run into a lot of problems when they have the confidence and they act like they have the answers and then they compel a certain activity and then it doesn't work. All the credibility is gone. You're right. When you, when you go in like, Hey, like I, here's why I think this will work. Here are my assumptions. Spot check me. Now let's try this together. See what happens and iterate to improve. That's the whole motion of we're going to figure this out together. Not I'm going to give you some vague direction. You figure it out or else that's scary as a rep. That's really interesting. How common do you think that is right now? I mean, you came in, was that kind of what you tried to fix when you got to Mongo? I mean, you talk to a lot of people, you see a lot of things. I, I think that that happens more than people want to admit. I think this vague, here's my idea. Now you go figure it out. I, I think there's a lot to that. It's incredibly common. Uh, my, my, my ask for any leader listening to this is every time you're going to a rep and you're saying, hey, we need to do more of X, whether it's more discovery set, more deals closed, higher dollar value, whatever it is, whenever you go give that request, if you can't in that moment put yourself in the rep shoes and answer, well, if I were the rep, what would I do differently to achieve that outcome? Don't put that on them. You can't do that. You need to say, hey, we need to go improve the number of opportunities that we're generating. What we're going to do differently to get there is X, Y, Z. If you don't have the X, Y, Z to tell them, you're just giving them a target to go chase. They still don't know how. Now they're distressed, anxious, and frustrated. And bonus Ooh. points, they think you're micromanaging. And they have no idea how to get there. And they don't think you know how to get there either. It's that everybody loses. Okay, let's dive into this, man. Let's. We may only sit in this point for the whole time. We may not even get to the other stuff. I think this is big enough. Uh, brother. So, so um, I think that we're getting into trust now. It's a different kind of trust. It's not trust. I think you're a freaking liar. It's, you know, that's character. The second C of trust is competency. And, um, and so people have to have reason to believe that you, you're someone who can help them. And, and it also fuels the third one of connection. Do you have the, the rep's best interests in mind? If you're keeping yourself current, if you're out there finding what works and what doesn't, 
that's going to send, that's going to speak volumes. It's not that you're the Oracle. It's not that you're the know-it-all it's that you're actually in it with them. You're not armchair quarterbacking. You're in it with them. And I think that that's something that you can't replace any other way. And I, I love that. So how do you prioritize that? How do you make sure that you do that? Is there any like any tips you could give our listeners on, on how do you make sure that you're testing? Like I think of one of my favorite like Robisms, when in doubt, send out a scout. You're out there like testing things all the time. How, how do you make that part of your leadership cadence? So the, one of the, the first two things I'll do, I've done this at Qualtrics, I'm not doing it at Mongo, and I will probably do it until I find a better way or I'm taught a better way. But there are two things I need to establish. I need to establish what good, productive effort looks like, because if there's not enough effort, I'm not going to have a sample size to diagnose what's working and what's not. Then I need to break down the specific competencies that reps and leaders need to be successful. It can't be so vague as good at prospecting, good at discovery, good at demos, et cetera. You need to get more specific. As you're able to go break down the specific competencies and subcompetencies that reps need to execute, that's where as a leader, you can say, okay, well, a rep is having a hard time setting meetings, which is a prospecting issue, breaking down competencies. That means either they're calling the wrong accounts, they're calling the wrong people in the right accounts, or they're calling the right people, right accounts using the wrong messaging. It's going to be one of those three subcompetencies. Now I'm going to go work with the rep to diagnose and see which one of those is the problem. So then when I say, hey, we need to go create more opportunities, it's we're going to go create more opportunities by here the accounts you call into. We're going to tweak your messaging based on my observations. Now the rep is the well, there, here's an actual plan to get me there. Otherwise, the rep is thinking, hey, you just asked me to get better at this, and you don't even know how I should do it. How am I supposed to figure it out? I really, really like it. Um, to do this, you've got to prioritize like these moments of observation and actually being involved in what's going on, right? I mean, it's not something that you do if you have time. Like, how do you make that work? Because I hear a lot of times, oh, Rob, I'm so busy. Like, I sometimes hear I can't coach as much as I want because I have all these things. This isn't, this isn't coaching. This is doing. This is one level deeper, right? Yep. I love for people that get the, the video part of this on sales leadership. Now they'll see you with this smile. You got this great smile. You're, you're trying not to laugh as I bring this up. So I'm, that tells me you've heard this before. Yeah. I, every, everything is sales. Honestly, everything is sales. And everything in self-leadership should be coaching. Everything is sales. Everything can be a sales process. So it starts with the discovery aspect. I, I'll use data to inform my discovery. I can look and see where things are breaking down across the funnel. Is it poor, is it poor conversion from demo to close? Is it from discovery to demo? Is it from prospect to IQM set? Where am I seeing a breakdown in conversion? Okay. Then I can figure out a hypothesis. Okay, there's, there's going to be a few skills that are leading to that breakdown. That's when you go into coaching mode, you meet with the rep. If it's an issue for discovery to demo, I'm going to look at discovery calls with them. Are they bringing a good value hypothesis? Are they uncovering and teaching negative consequences? Are they defining an after state early enough to get attention? I can quickly find in that observation where they're going wrong. So that's one piece. Use data to get a hypothesis. Use observation to confirm the hypothesis and course correct coaching. Uh, the other aspect is every conversation should relate to coaching. Whenever I'm doing like a deal review, for example, I'm trying to do two things in every deal review. One, 
help them win this individual deal with tactical next steps to course correct where we're going wrong and how we can optimize. Two, I want to uncover and teach a skill that's going to help them across all of their deals. So that makes it more scalable. Mm, I love I this. Forecast review. I can give quick insight in a forecast review that informs how they treat all of their pipeline. Every single conversation can and should be treated as a coaching opportunity. If you're talking to your rep, you should be teaching your rep. Dude, this is like the third time you said it. I think this is going to end up being the title. I always am always interested when I'm talking to the person. What's the title of the episode? Everything is coaching. That's the third time you said it. Everything is about coaching. And um, it's not just having a coaching session. Everything is about looking for improvement. So I want to sit in that. Like, we're not getting out of it yet. Like, as we go into next year, I think the rookie leaders and – I think this is really timely. This is so timely, Kyle. I'm so grateful we're doing this right now. So going to next year, a lot of people are still trying to do simple activity management. And the first thing you said is I got to know what good looks like. I, I, as I wrote it down, it says I got to establish what good productive effort looks like. Okay. And so when I know what good productive effort looks like, I don't have to try and one up the effort. I don't have to have career best effort all the time because that's not a recipe for success. In my right. opinion, that's a recipe for burnout. Mm-hmm. find the right effort, but then it's how do we improve once we have this certain effort level happening, right? Yeah. Which means I think there's three kinds of metrics. There's activity metrics, which talk about effort. Yeah. On the other bookend, there's productivity metrics that say how successful we were. Did I get sales? Did I get renewals? Was it profitable business? What's the long, what's the lifetime value of the customers? All kinds of things there. But the one in the middle is the one that not pe- enough people do anything with. And you've alluded to it. So I want to sit in it for a minute. Conversion metrics. Yeah. Activity lit metrics should lead to conversion metrics. Conversion metrics should lead to profitability uh, or productivity, whatever you want to call it, metrics. Yeah. Very few people, you're one of the few that I know that are using conversion metrics like at scale maybe or like really innovatively. When I ask, the reason here's why I believe this, Kyle. I'm sorry if I'm rambling. I'm going to shut up. I'm asking you a question. I'm going to shut up. I ask people like simple things like, what's your win rate? And most of the time, it's like, hmm, good question. Or what's your advance rate from stage two to stage three? Or how long should that last? It's like, hmm, I don't know that either. Why? Why is that the case? One, it can be because data can be hard to access. Okay. Two, it's because they're not looking for it. Three is because they don't care because they don't know how important it is. But really, these conversion ratios should inform a lot of your decision making and should even help inform what good looks like for productivity. It also informs how you forecast your business. I really don't know how somebody forecasts if they don't have that level of handle on their business. And then in the in the speaking to the how it's different now, these conversions are going to be changing in the down economy you should be tracking that to see how it's impacting. And then the focus should change too. I think a big mistake right now a lot of sales leaders are making is over-indexing on the productivity and efforts. Their assumption is, well, we just need to go do more. Let's contact more accounts. Let's broaden our reach. And I'm sitting there thinking, no, like let's, let's, let's add in some constraints. Our ICP a year ago is not our ICP today. Because we had part of our ICP fall off into this abyss. Yeah. We're too afraid to do anything different because change is risk and we're scared to make change. I don't want to talk to companies scared of making change right now, right? So that part of our ICP is now gone. 
too many subs that just say, no, let's go contact everybody that was in our ICP ever, all the lost ops, all the lost renewals. And I'm saying, no, let's go anchor on a smaller subset. We're going to see higher conversion to offset our decrease in total pipeline, because I don't think we're going to be able to get total pipeline coverage even that close to where it was a year and a half ago. We have to make up for it through conversion. That's why I think about it. All right. So I hope you have the attention of 50,000 sales leaders all around the world right now. Okay. Um, I think that's a really good insight. As things change, there may be outside parts of the ICP that change. We may, we may hone, it may not even be the middle. It may be something new that emerges that has a new problem or new priority. Um, this idea of conversion metrics to fuel who you focus on as an ICP, any best practices, because I think you're ahead of the game in data for a lot of people. Listen, a lot of people, almost anybody can give you a pipeline. Almost anybody can tell you like what some basic activity like stuff looks like, but how do you, can you help people like get a sense of like, here are like a two or three things that you might do if you want to start walking down this conversion world, because I think you're dead on Kyle. The reason I was so excited to get you once we, we started talking the first time was I think you are, you are exactly right. And you're ahead. You're ahead of many others because most that are talking to me are still talking about, wow, I still got to do activity management. And yeah. I don't think that's the case. I think it's get the right rhythm and then find the areas of improvement. Yeah. I'd say when you're thinking about what to track in the conversion, think about every milestone where your buyer is going to have a definitive yes or a no. So example, cold call. Is my pitch interesting enough to have a discovery call? Yes or no? That's a milestone. That's a conversion rate. How many people do you need to talk to to get a yes to have a discovery? Discovery. Is this interesting enough? Is my value hypothesis relevant enough to have you have spent enough time to go into a solution presentation? Yes or no? That's a milestone. That's a conversion. Then from demo to proposal. Is my demo valuable enough to actually evaluate price seriously? Not just, oh yeah, send me some case studies proposal, I'll look at it. Are they actually going to meet with you and evaluate it? That's your conversion from demo to proposal. And then from proposal to how many buy, that's another yes or no. Is the value greater than the cost shown inclusive of the risk of change to buy? Those are some basic milestones. More Love complex it. sales processes have other gates in there. Like in Mongo, we have several other gates that we measure. But for the typical sales process, think to yourself, where are the definitive yes or no's? You need to understand what your ratios are converting each of those yes or no's. So you can begin to understand where to prioritize skill development most urgently to increase your total revenue one. Usually, you're going to focus on the more top of funnel metrics to begin with. The reason being is you're going to see a greater impact converting more qualified discoveries to demo then you are to increase your average deal size by 3% through better negotiation at the end. But with a more senior rep in this economic climate, it might actually skew a little bit more towards middle or even end of the funnel where you want to focus, but you're not going to have any idea until you define the milestones and track the milestones. What I like about that is it also occurs to me as I listen to you, Kyle, and tell me if you, you know, if you pause when I say this, um, it also means that we can create a different experience for the customer. When we're talking about conversion and it's a definitive yes, no play, since it's a definitive yes, no, 
we should probably be saying, what's the experience that we create that creates a different outcome, right? It's not just what do we say, it's what's the experience. And, and that that's fundamental stuff that if you can create a different experience rather than just change the talk track, um, that's, I think, where you start having really big impact organizationally and, and like individually, you change careers, you change lives, right? Yeah, that uh, that makes me think about buyer psychology, which is a whole different subject. But I'm okay. huge on thinking about how the buyer buys. So, like when you're doing your deal reviews, it's not what are our next steps to make a sale. It's what information does the buyer not have that they need to make a good decision, and what's the cleanest way for us to get them that information so they can make a good decision. Right? It's when you're thinking about conversion. It's not how do I get them to say yes. It's if I was this marketing director, what would it compel me to accept an invitation to, to learn more through a cold outreach? Right? Yeah. Uh, so a hundred percent. Think with the buyer, and I'll give a shout out if you're not following Nate Nasrallah on LinkedIn. Dude, don't know, master, don't know. He's a master of um, teaching how to sell with cool. your buyer in mind. All right, so I'm looking. You've built. Maybe it was knowingly. Maybe it was unknowingly. You just built a nice little model for us that I want to push pause. I want to kind of try and tidy this up because I want to give our listeners like some bullet points, if that's okay. <laughs> So when we started talking about if you if you haven't started to change how you lead six months ago, you might be in trouble. Um, it sounds like a, you might be a redneck if kind of thing. You, you might be in trouble if, right? And um, some of the places you started with change how you coach and it was show first, test first, right? Create a hypothesis and then demonstrate before you elaborate, Right. Um, number two, I put down is we're going to change how we use data instead of just activity metrics and some of the easy things to measure. We want to get into conversion. Again, we want to use conversion metrics to have a opportunity to, to figure out, um, where are these hypotheses going to be on, on where we try to get after where are the low hanging fruit or where maybe the most important fruit. Third one I put down is, and it was me saying, and I want to make sure you're okay with it. We got to change the experiences that we create along the way in order to facilitate that. Mm-hmm. And the last one I put a label on as well. I want to, I want to give you a chance to look at those four. And then I want to see what you want to add to it before we start going anywhere else, because I, I really like this. Sounds like we might need to change what we focus on and it might be conversion instead of activity, but it also might be change the ICP or, or something like that. Be, be willing to say, what are our focus points that are, are those four things like, what would you say about that? Yeah, I, I love those four. On the last one, uh, something that I'm starting to live by is productivity of loves constraints. And you, you see this in action all the time, right? Like if a rep has an empty calendar, they usually have a pretty bad prospecting day. If a rep has a busier day and they have to schedule slots for prospecting, they usually do more. And so, especially in this environment, we need to go in some cases, manufacture constraints to encourage productivity. So when we're saying ICP, let's say it's um, marketing leaders at financials and financial services. If I'm a leader, I'm going to go say, hey, today focus on VPs of marketing at credit unions that have between 50 and 200 locations. Adding some constraints, improve focus, focus improves productivity. And right now, ambiguity is killing productivity. This one I would add to that last point. So I want to, I like this idea that you said, maybe we sometimes have to manufacture constraints. 
that's a really interesting idea. And I, I like what you're saying. Um, can you go in a little bit deeper on that one and give, you got 45,000 listeners that are like, hmm, some of them are scratching their head. Some of them probably already get what you're saying. Would you mind like trying to clarify that or say, here's a couple of, of ways that you might manufacture some constraints to help fuel productivity? Yeah, one of my uh, one of my direct reports at Qualtrics did a really good job with this. And so credit yeah. to Jordan. Um, he had a weekly focus for his team for pipe generation, where some okay. weeks would say, we're going to have a focus on this product line as a cross-sell into current accounts. The next week is we're going to focus on this persona in net new accounts with this product line. And so adding some kind of a focus constraint, it helped the reps get deeper and okay, what is the best proof point to share? What are the best sequences to get attention with this uh, specific persona? And so giving the rep that guidance improve productivity, because otherwise I think every sales leader in this listening would be surprised and sad if you knew how much time your reps spent thinking, what should I do next? What account should I be calling into? What contacts should I be reaching out to? They're spending hours every week just thinking, what should I do? Add some constraints, take away the ambiguity, and I would bet a lot that you're going to see increased productivity. So just to make sure that, that I'm getting it right and same with our leaders, I like that. I like what I'm hearing is like you're saying in a day, maybe it's X percentage of your time should be on this function and X percent would be on this function. Or these are the 20% of your activities that are responsible for 80% of your success you know, time block these types of things and these constraints. And is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's one way to look at it. I think there's a lot of different ways that you can like apply it. constraints. The example at Mongo, uh, when I came in, common feedback, I say, we're not sure what a good day looks like. So okay. wait a minute, I want to say again, we're not sure what a good day looks like. Yeah. Okay. Not sure what a good day looks like. And so we built constraints for what a good day looks like, how to measure it, how to score it. They implemented it. And they entered Q4 with twice as much pipeline as they entered Q3 before I had joined and implemented this. And so adding that constraint as simple as here's what a good day looks like, doubled productivity as measured by a healthy pipeline in the funnel, right? I'm writing this down, man. I'm sorry. This is, this is really great. So sales leaders can definitely do that. In fact, one of the things that I, now I think I have a new title, it's going to be something around uh, what does good look like? Cause that seems, you know, like that seems as, like it's speaking to me. Showing the members of your team, what good looks like. It's, it's not just in doing an activity or not just in a, it's everywhere. That's why I say coaching is everything because the first part of coaching is, you know, what's, what does a good effort look like, but then what does good discipline and how you do that effort look like? And it could start with something as simple as what's a good day. How does a leader like get a good sense of what good looks like? Are we back to where we started of test first and, and start doing first? I mean, I feel yeah. like we're gone full circle and that's okay because I like that it's all tied together. I'm rambling for the third time on this. I'm sorry. Should, should they, that should be a priority, like always testing and evaluating what does good look like, right? It should be, and it should also be collaborative. And so one of the reasons why this framework works well is I have the frontline leader meet with the reps to come to an agreement on what productivity, look, what does a good day look like for you? When you've had success, what were you doing? 
The leader has insight as well. When they were a rep, they have some information. I have some information, but it's meant to be a collaborative effort to determine, again, what, what is good with multiple voices together. The beauty of this, because they have a voice in what good looks like, now accountability is easy because the rep, mm. can, well, they can, but they probably shouldn't say, hey, I know I agree this is good for me to do, but I don't want to be accountable to it. Like that doesn't make any sense. And so we get buy-in across the board with that. And then the other thing is we track it. If the metrics don't get better, we got it wrong. We got to fix it. When I first roll out what I call my good day framework, I expect it to look different six months later as we tweak it. I'm even okay if different reps have different measurements on the same team. We can individualize it. That's, that's great. That's All right. Great. We, I can't let you off the hook here, Kyle. I'm sorry, but this is too good. Like, People talk about time management all the time, but you just dropped a phrase that I got to learn more about. You have something that you call a good day framework. What goes into a good day framework? So for, for me, it's always been a point-based system and you can actually grab it from my YouTube or my website the way that I have it set up generically. And then you can improvise it for your, your, your teams. Um, but it defines what are the good inputs and outputs weighted based on effectiveness and it gives you a target to achieve daily. Um, it, I am anti-busy work. Like I will never say go make 60 calls, leave no voicemails, and that counts as productivity because it's a waste of time. And so everything in there are things that I have found that drive revenue. And then I work with the, when I go to a new company, how do we shift this, the scoring, the weighting, or even what we measure to meet this new environment? The reps have a voice, the reps buy in, they track it daily. I'm really big on when you track something, performance improves. When you track something and report on it, performance exponentially improves. And so the productivity just, just skyrockets, right? So what I love about it is it's not micromanagement. It's micro-awareness. There's a big difference between being micro-aware because the success is always in the details. It's not just show up and cross your fingers. We do very specific things to achieve very specific results. Fair to say? And... Mm -hmm. And what I hear you say, this is not a manager saying, this is what, what you must do. This is the call quota or the whatever. Uh, you have a framework where you're very aware, hyper-aware. Hyper-awareness of what leads to success is a powerful thing, right? And the invitation was always, if you disagree that this is the right way to measure your success, we'll change it for you. And so the rep always has to say, now I, I have to agree. Right. If they come back and say, well, success for me is I'll send 10 emails a day and make five calls and respond to clients. No, that's garbage. Right. But I've never had that happen. And so the reps have the invitation. If this is not leading to your success, we're not going to measure it that way. And the, the micromanagement is when you are holding reps accountable to things that they don't care about, that they think only help you. If I'm holding reps accountable to metrics that make me look good, that don't make them money then yeah, I'm, I'm, even if it's once a week or once a month checking in, that's still micromanagement. I think it's more about the intent than the frequency. If I'm holding them accountable to what they agree is going to help them make more money, then why wouldn't they want to have a good day every single day? Why wouldn't they want to be held accountable to that? Because that helps them get better. And then when I combine that with, hey, I am always coaching. I am here with you. When you're stuck, I will run through walls to get you unstuck. It's a really fair mutual accountability. They're going to work hard. I'm going to work hard for them. I'm going to pull down barriers. And when you have a team that's being developed, they're accountable and productive. You put those two things together and you have a winning team. 
dude, this is good. Even better than I thought, even better than I thought, Kyle. Um, I love your depth. I, I, I love how you take something that the devil will be in the details and there's complexity to it, but you simplify it. I like how you simplify it and shouldn't be complicated. It should be straightforward. It's what good looks like. Good should not be complicated. Good should be clear. I'm a believer that clarity is the one of the top weapons or tools of a elite sales leader is clarity and that ambiguity or confusion is the enemy because to do big things you got to create big speed and and clarity creates speed what could you comment on why like your thought on that does this create clarity when you do this does clarity play a role for you and what you do it creates major clarity uh, as a leader especially more senior leaders you need to be able to embrace ambiguity that's just part of being in a, a, a sales leadership role, especially in a tech company that grows quickly. You need to be okay with ambiguity, but it's your job to make sure that your reps are not living in ambiguity. Okay, a senior leader has more time to mature in their career. They're compensated differently. Everything is different at that level, right? For a rep though, if they're sitting there thinking, I'm not sure what good looks like, how are they ever gonna work hard and be productive? If they don't know how they're performing and getting frequent feedback, they don't know if it's right. They, they, that's discouraging. And so uh, as a leader, embrace ambiguity at your level, work hard to establish nothing but clarity for the people that you support. All right. We're down to our last seven minutes, man. And I want to give time for people to learn from you. And you'd mentioned you have a website that I want to make sure we put in our show notes so they can see like this point system you talked about and stuff like that. I, I hope you get a lot of people that want to dive into this. We've, we're back on what good looks like. So obviously you said we got to prioritize it. How, like, there should probably something to like, we think this is what good looks like and we're going to execute against it versus, you know, like we're going to keep always changing it. Is there like something to be said for like, we're going to hold on to this for a minute and, and test it like, What's the relationship between like executing against something and finding what's new or is there none? Is it, if it's better, we just go with it. Can, can you, can you talk about that? Like, I love the smile. Like, I, I love that you're already thinking of this. Like there's a good answer coming. I can see it. I, uh, a, a mistake companies make at the macro level and micro level is they will, will they'll make a, a wrong decision and they'll sprint in that direction they'll realize it was a wrong decision. They'll pivot, reverse course, and sprint the other direction. And they're still at the wrong end of the pendulum. So whenever you're making, like you should always be iterating. You should always be tweaking. Okay. Unless you are absolutely miserably failing, you should iterate somewhat gradually. The reason being is if I'm using the point system, for example, and I go rip and replace all eight criteria for a new eight criteria, if it works or doesn't work, how am I going to know which part works and which part was broken? If I change multiple things at once, it's going to be really hard to diagnose what was wrong before and what's working now. So unless it's really drastic, a really bad situation, you should iterate rather slowly, but it should be a continuous improvement. You should never say, okay, we found it. This is status quo. This is it forever. Constant improvement, but rarely should it be a complete 180? If you did a complete 180, then either you're moving way too quickly or you made a really bad decision previously. 
So like, I don't want to say never do that because we do make bad decisions. I've made bad decisions. I've had to do 180s before. But if you find yourself consistently having to 180 out of a decision, let's really think about your decision-making process, how you get those decisions, and maybe go a little bit slower leading up to those. That's a sign of a little bit of dysfunction. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, we'll come back and let you give some closing thoughts here for here in a minute. We're, we're down to our last five. How do I want to first give a chance? Like, how do people get to know you? How do they connect with you? How do they learn more about your resources? I, I know that you have your own website. I know you you do solutions at Mongo. You, you got a lot of things. How, how do people connect to you? Learn more about you? Learn what you have to offer? What are some of those things? And then I'm going to come back for some final thoughts. Yeah. So uh, find me on LinkedIn for sure. Um, uh, pictures of me there. I, I post most days and I try to post helpful stuff. Yeah, not I, just, uh, I endorse. That's why we're on the, we're on this call right now. Like I, I love what you share. I do a weekly newsletter. Most weeks, probably three to four weeks. I have one going out. Uh, you can subscribe for that at salesintroverts.com where I also post my previous newsletters. I also uh, sell a couple frameworks for leadership and also for AEs. And I'm working on a future course all around the buyer psychology, which is why I smiled when you earlier talked about shifting to the buyers, the buyer's mindset. Um, but yeah, so salesintroverse.com, LinkedIn, uh, YouTube as well. But please connect, reach out, happy to help. And I'll put all those links in the show notes. So for the listeners, we'll make sure that every one of those links you just said is in the show notes. So it's easy for them to access those. Cool. Um, all right, so we're down to our last, three and a half, four minutes. And so we've got 45,000 plus, somewhere between 45,000 and 50,000 people are going to listen to this. All of them leading people, all of them getting ready for a year that's going to have its own set of challenges. Some of them may be holding on to legacy idea ideas of what good looks like, right? Some of them may be terrified of changing from things that they knew at least it used to work, right? Um, what are your final thoughts to this large group of leaders that are listening to you? Like as they get ready for next year and, and we're emphasizing conversion next year and, and next year is going to be a year of, of improvement, not just activity. I, I believe we both agree on that. Next year will be about improvement, not activity. Um, I should take it back. Obviously activity has to be there, but more activity is not the secret. It's more conversion, more improvement. Any, any thoughts you'd give to put a bow on this conversation? Like, kind of final pieces of advice or a tip or two that you'd suggest to, to send them on their way? Yeah, over the, the next one to two years, the top sales leaders are going to accelerate their career by maybe a decade. Okay? Good is never going to stand out so much as it is going to stand out now. So if you want to be one of those that stands out and accelerates your career dramatically, uh, one, take complete ownership. The success of your team is on you. It's not on the market. It's not on your company. It's not on marketing, not on SDRs. It's on you. You own it. You own the success. You own the failure. Embrace that. Uh, another one, be transparent with your team. It's going to be hard. It's going to be struggles. You're going to make mistakes. Your company's going to screw up. Things are going to go wrong. Don't sugarcoat it. It's completely acceptable to say, hey, Rep, you're right. You got screwed. You should be frustrated. We're going to move past it, though. Here's how. That's okay. You don't need to sugarcoat everything. Be honest, be authentic, be transparent. Uh, and then just a double click coach, always coach. When you're helping your people get better, that will drive loyalty. That will drive their improvement. They'll make more money. You'll make more money. But man, you, you give me a leader that spends the next one to two years 
uh, having ownership, transparency, and coaching. And they are going to be in a really fantastic, they're going to be able to write their ticket uh, when this, this recession ends to do anything they want to do in sales leadership. Kyle, this was so good. Dude, drop the mic. Go enjoy your Thanksgiving dinner, brother. And uh, keep that awesome smile going because you are doing big things. His name is Kyle Acey. He, he's doing amazing work. He is a rising star. He is a, a, a massive supernova of talent exploding into the sales leadership world. If you are not connected to him, fix it. If you're not following him, fix it. Uh, take advantage of his resources. Go back and listen to this one a time or two. I, I think what you just had shared with you today is a framework that will help you not just finish this year, in a great way. It's going to help you get off to a, a good start in a year where there will most certainly be new challenges, new struggles, and you as a leader are going to have to have a new idea of what good looks like in many parts of your business. Kyle, I appreciate you sharing your insights. I appreciate you giving an hour of your time with so many sales leaders all around the world. I thank you for what you've done for all of these people. I salute you for what you're doing for the people you lead. And as I say to all of them, my man, happy selling. Thanks, Rob. Pleasure being on. So good for the invitation. Great conversation. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Sales Leadership United is the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Listen, sales leadership is hard. And I mean really hard. And we're going into a year next year where we're going to face new challenges, where we're going to be asked to upgrade our performance in, in new environments that we might not have ever seen before. And, and that means we're going to have to upgrade our skills and upgrade our approach and upgrade what we do as leaders if we're going to be successful in helping our teams get there. And that's why having the largest collection of sales leadership assets available will be so important. I want you to think of Sales Leadership United as a Home Depot for sales leaders. There's everything you need to take your sales leadership game up and create elite impact for those you lead. Sales leadership curriculum, sales meeting concepts that are ready to go, proven frameworks, video insights from this episode with Kyle and dozens of other elite sales leaders worldwide, a private podcast for members only, and weekly updates on what I'm working on with other sales leaders and seeing be used effectively to create elite impact with the teams they lead. So don't reinvent sales leadership. You can find Sales Leadership United on Patreon and for less than the cost of lunch, you can invest in yourself in a way that will supercharge your sales leadership journey. Tap into the tools, trainings, and techniques used by some of the most successful sales leaders in the world and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now let's get back to Kyle Acey. Kyle's someone who's a difference maker. This guy's going places and he's doing amazing things and, and his success has turned a lot of heads and I hope he got your attention today because I thought there's a terrific conversation. I, I was pumped to have the opportunity to speak with him about his approach to sales leadership. Kyle brings a ton of insight all through this conversation. This was a fun one. This was a deep one. I like it when I get sales leaders that have a lot of depth that can go a lot of places. And Kyle is one of these people. The one thing I keep, keep thinking about as I think about my conversation with Kyle is how he has taken great efforts 
and then very intentional on remaining a big doer and not falling into that category of being a big talker. Too many sales leaders forget about the three C's of trust and in particular the second C. You know, there, there's three C's that build trust for a sales leader and, and the second C is a super important one. That C is competency. Competency and your ability to do the job that you're leading. And in addition, competency as a leader. And too many leaders lose that second C. They let things pass them by. They, they might not keep their skills current or maybe even let them erode. Maybe, maybe they, they don't create new competencies that are commensurate with the modern sales ecosystem. Uh, I, I see too many people falling back to activity management instead of saying, what are the new competencies? You know, new new world in 2023 will require new competencies, and 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 we have to be able to create those ourselves if we expect to be able to teach those to the people that we lead. So yesterday I did another sales kickoff. This one was just for leaders. It was uh, it was a leadership session as as these leaders get ready to kick off their teams next year with a pretty cool company. At dinner last night, I was speaking with a really seasoned sales leader. As we were, as we were talking, he shared with me about the intentional steps he's taken to be able to be relevant to his team, to make sure that he doesn't become an armchair quarterback or worse, a spreadsheet leader. Um, that reminded me of the conversation with Kyle. It reminded me I needed to get my myself back to the hotel and and uh, record yet another one of these so what's on my iPhone. So I apologize that I have not been in my studio for a while. Um, but I hope that, that, that the content here is, is still okay. Um, because early in this episode, Kyle talks about how he's changed several areas that he, as a sales leader, some of his, his approaches to sales leadership. And he also says that if you haven't changed your leadership approach in the last six months, you're already in trouble. And I hope that that's a warning that you pay close attention to because things are changing that fast. And one of the important areas that Kyle is really intentional is in doing before teaching. Kyle said it very clearly, you can't teach and not show. You know, I guess another way of looking at this is don't just bring hypotheses to your team. You gotta bring proven frameworks, proven tactics, modern techniques, current insights. Yesterday, like I said, that SKO was for a large group of sales leaders. It, it was a leadership kickoff to help them prepare for the, uh, the upcoming 2023 year. And one of the things that we workshopped were areas that we need to be able to show a rep what good looks like. This is something that I think is really important. We spent a lot of time on what are the areas we need to be able to have our reps know what good looks like. And we identified some pretty key areas and then we spent time as leaders getting really clear on what that would be and how we would share that. I would highly recommend you do something for yourself like that. Spend some time as you go into the coming year identifying what are the areas of what good looks like. Um, Jim Dickey's research has shown that 94% of salespeople in world-class sales organizations, they say that they have a clear, externally defined definition of what good looks like for all of their sales roles. Comparatively, only one-third of the total body of salespeople claim they have leaders who has given them that model of awesomeness, that model of what good looks like. Uh, I used to call it, we have to model awesomeness, and I, I, I hope that that gets your attention, that you want to be able to identify what good looks like for your rep so we can remove that ambiguity. 
Um, and I guess that brings us back to clarity. Clarity is the catalyst of speed and speed is the catalyst of massive success. Ambiguity always has been and always will be the enemy of speed and the enemy of massive success. So the elite sales leaders, they make painstaking efforts to show what good looks like with crystal clarity. Kyle gave some suggestions on where to start. A great question is to ask, if I were in my rep shoes, what would I need? And then you gotta be specific. Here's a couple of Kyle's examples from our conversation that I hope that you took notes on. And if you didn't catch these, go back and listen to them. Even if you did catch these, he has more than the ones that I'm identifying right here. He started with what does a good productive effort look like? What does a good day look like? What does a good prospect or an ICP look like? What does good competencies look like inside of each part of the sales process? Here's a few that I would add. What do good questions look like? What does good preparation look like? What does good follow-up look like? What does good coaching look like? And if you, you know, what, what does good use of data look like? And if you take one thing from my conversation with Kyle, I hope it's this. Identify, then show, then teach. Kyle talked about lots of areas we need to change going into 2023. How we coach, how we use data, how we engineer experiences, how we focus, how we prioritize a day. Okay, those were just some of them. But I guess that the bigger thing is, isn't just the areas of where you would do this. The bigger thing is the commitment to iteration and, and creativity and staying modern, I guess is the best way to call it. Ideation and iteration lead to small improvements. And in sales, small improvements yield large disproportionate results. So it's a big deal. It's worth fighting for. Those small changes are, are worth going and getting because they will be the things that get you significant improvement and in a world where we're going to have to find new ways to win those small things are worth the fight so my advice is to create frameworks around what good looks like and then help those you lead make those frameworks work for them in ways that are unique to them be someone who never loses the ability to demonstrate competency to demonstrate what good looks like because that's one of the crucial ways to continue to develop trust with those you lead and trust well, that's the currency of relationships. It's what we trade on. And you won't be successful as a leader without it. So Kyle, thank you so much for joining me. This was such an important and such a timely episode. And as each of us prepare for the upcoming year, we're going to be asked to upgrade our performance, to grow, to accomplish more. Shoot, as salespeople, we sign up to fuel the growth of the companies we work for. So we're not afraid of the more button. But if you want that, result from 2022 to grow and become more in 2023 if you want that desired 2023 performance you're gonna need to be able to demonstrate what 2023 good looks like to your team members it might be different it probably will be different it most certainly needs to be different than what good looked like for 2022 don't take a 2022 what good looks like into 2023 that's like taking a knife to a gunfight okay and if you don't want to take a ball and a musket gun uh, against someone with a fully automatic weapon, okay? And so my advice, go back and listen. Kyle's insights will help you bring that current what good looks like to the table. So go back, listen to Kyle again, take notes, break it down. Spend time getting crystal clear on what good looks like for 2023. Make sure you can model awesomeness for every member of your team. And my last advice is to check out, connect, you know, connect with Kyle. 
reach out to him, check out his stuff, follow him. His perspective in sales and sales leadership will help you as you work to make sure you're creating the kind of clarity it will take to win in the year that will most certainly bring us new challenges. And then be sure to check out Sales Leadership United to get the video segments of the highlights of my conversation with Kyle. You'll want to use those for sure. Finally, I got to thank each of you, our listeners. There is no show without you. The greatest compliment you can give is to share the show with those you work with. Introduce someone to the Sales Leadership Podcast. And if you're comfortable, go and leave us one of those five-star reviews on iTunes. Uh, you can support the show that way, and, and you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to Patreon and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people you lead. And, and if you liked the message today, share it with someone who needs to hear it. And if you're tired of running up the hill and dealing with sales leadership challenges alone, hit me up. Take away the guesswork. Take the most direct path. The fastest route from point A to point B is a straight freaking line, and I can help you line that up faster than you might think. So let's get after it this week, because life's short, and we got no guarantee of what's going to come tomorrow. Maximize what you do today. Be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions. Do your best work so you can live your best life. And don't ever forget that you got this, and we got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, Want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me. <laughs>